Hi everyone, we are back again. We are now in the portion of our program where we are running into uh, conflict with the uh, NCAA tournament. So, you know, you can do the dual screen thing with the TV and then have your laptop going on with the volume on us, of course. You can just watch the game uh, at the same time. Uh, so, moving on, I uh, want to introduce Mike, Michael Bafudo, uh, Director of CME Programming at Integrity Continuing Education. Talking about how did all these people get here? Looking beyond level one outcomes in live events. So, Mike, I'm going to turn it over to you and take it away. Hi, everyone, and thank you, Derek. Uh, when when I took this session, I didn't think I'd be going up against uh, the Duke basketball game today. Uh, so mm -hmm. hopefully, I can be a little more entertaining than that. I, it might be tough. Um, but uh, I my session today uh, will be talking about audience generation. Uh, I myself kind of cut my teeth in the industry uh, working on dinner workshops, uh, regional programs back uh, early in the 2000s. Um, so quite a bit of experience in generating audiences from live meetings. And I think uh, oftentimes level one outcomes kind of become this uh, secondary thought or, you know, a lot of focus is placed on five, six, and seven. But uh, I think we always have to remember that to get up there, we need to get people into the activity. We need to have people participating. Uh, I'm going to focus today on live education, uh, understanding that there's quite a bit of uh, a focus nowadays on digital and, and social media and how we can uh, incorporate that into CME, especially in conferences and, and meetings like this. But uh, certainly live education still has a major role in the CME landscape as a whole. Uh, you know, and uh, we'd like to keep it that way, <laughs> um, and uh, like to keep people coming out to the programs. So uh, I've set up so many CME presentations that I added a disclosure disclaimer here. Uh, I obviously am an employee of Integrity Continuing Education. Uh, I do thank my um, our owner who allowed me access to all of the data I'm going to show you. He does own it, so uh, very um, appreciative of him for that, uh, and also everybody here that works with me who's compiled all this data over the years. Uh, you all thought I would never do anything with it, uh, those of you that are watching, and uh, <laughs> now uh, I'm actually doing something with it. So uh, thank you for that. Um, Integrity CE is not an audience generation company. We are an ACCME accredited agency. We do uh, soup to nuts, educational design, content development, the whole nine. Uh, so, um, you know, we, we don't outsource audience generation services, nothing like that. Just wanted to put that out there. Uh, and uh, as far as what I'll present, everything that I'll show you has been derived from my own personal experience, unless I note it otherwise. So uh, for ob objectives, uh, I'd like to describe some of the key considerations for developing an, audi an audience generation plan, uh, really kind of give you some insight into what our best practices are, uh, what we think about when we plan an audience generation plan. And uh, I think the central theme of that you'll see is we like to try to think like our audience. Um, we'd like to, for you to be able to list expected return rates for some of the more common audience generation methods. Uh, I'm going to show you what's publicly available, and then I'll show you some data that we've compiled from uh, over 8,000 registrations here uh, to see what kind of return rates we've gotten. <clears throat> uh, and follow, finally, develop audience generation plans that are uh, in accordance with your expectations and your allotted budget. And really, this might be develop budgets that allow you to meet your expectations or develop expectations that align with your budgets, one or the other. 
So uh, what is audience generation? What I'll be talking about is um, promotion of free. Uh, I think that's important. Um, I, don't, I don't have any experience with uh, programs that, that charge to attend or anything like that. So uh, free activities, live activities uh, that are promoted to a targeted group of physicians. And I'm going to talk about um, primarily four uh, forms, direct mail, email, fax marketing, and uh, internal database marketing. So on my next slide, this is uh, social media. This is the 300-pound gorilla in the room that uh, I'm not totally ignoring. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk a little bit about it on my next slide. Uh, and certainly, you know, um, we know social media, mobile use, digital use, all of these things are, are going up, 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 up. And we've got huge opportunities for, um, for CME in these spaces. Uh, CME Palooza here is a testament to the capabilities of, of all of the technology that's available to us to bring people together, to share ideas, to, to exchange between peers and, and all of that. Um, Derek, uh, can you go to the next slide? Uh, and then, you know, we do know uh, there's quite a bit of data coming out now about social media use by healthcare providers. Uh, it's fairly inconsistent. Uh, and I think that's owed to the huge number of formats and the, the huge preferences of people or the variability in the preferences of people who utilize social media. Uh, you know, I know that uh, just talking to my friends or colleagues here, uh, I use Twitter quite a bit, Facebook, uh, they're on Instagram, Snapchat, all these other social media sharing platforms. And I think that affects our ability to use it for an audience generation platform. Um, I think their merit, social media has huge merit as part of an overall digi digital strategy, and I think that's uh, very important to any CME enterprise. And um, we heard Glenn earlier this morning kind of talk about that, about how uh, you know um, getting into the digital space and not just yelling with a megaphone into a crowd, uh, and how how strategy has to be designed to do that. Um, and I think audience generation can be a, a component of your digital strategy, but I really believe that your audience generation strategy can't begin and end with just digital um, mechanisms. So uh, I'm going to look at expected rates of returns here. And this is according to the Google, which is this website that um, apparently you can get information from. Uh, and we all know that everything on the internet is true. Um, so I'm going to take this as 100% factual. Um, but what I was able to find from data available for mail was 1 to 4.4%, which is pretty much in line with what I expected to find. For email, 1.73%. Uh, and I just want to point out, because I really I was confused myself, the source there is DM Databases, not Direct Medical Data, the company that um, most of us are probably very familiar with. Um, and then finally for facts, a huge spread, 0.5% all the way up to 8%. Uh, 8% seems uh, astronomical and totally out of line to me, um, but it, you know, somebody's reporting that. <clears throat> uh, and then finally, database marketing, you don't know. Uh, that depends on what you've done to maintain engagement with people that you've, um, you've educated in the past or you've interacted with in the past, what you've done to maintain the quality of that data, uh, and you know, how frequently and, and how you utilize that data, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. So next I'm going to go through some strengths and weaknesses, pros and cons for these four formats. Um, first of all, mail. Uh, for strengths, the, the response rates are really consistent. One to four percent is really what you can expect from a direct mail piece. If it's done well uh, and, it's, you know, and it's, it's sent to the right population, 
Um, there's a high degree of personalization. There are tons of advances in printing and design that you can incorporate, uh, and the data is ready, readily available. There are tons of vendors you can purchase it from. Anybody that sells a, a mailing list sells the, the mail address. Uh, you know, it's much harder to get at emails. It's much harder to get at phone numbers and fax numbers. Um, the weakness is, is it's by far the most expensive form of audience generation. It's relatively slow, uh, snail mail, when, you know, we're in an instant society. So, um, you know, that's something you have to consider. Uh, it's time-consuming to manage. You have to manage fulfillment vendors or postal rates or mailing lists, production, printing. Uh, there's quite a bit of, um, of components that are involved there that, that need to be um, thought about. And it requires heavy production. Uh, so, you know, basically you're you're going to add 10 days to any timeline with mail because you need to get it printed and you need to deal with proofs and, and shipping it around and moving it from place to place. So um, certainly something uh, uh, to keep in mind. Uh, one tip I wanted to give for direct mail is if you're going to develop a direct, direct mail piece, you should know postal regulations. Uh, in 2012, I believe, the USPS cut um, pre-sorted first-class mail rates if your mailing panel was positioned a certain way. So if the bottom of your mailing panel is the fold of your invite, if it's a self-mailer, uh, you save 22 cents per piece on postage. If you do it the wrong way, it jams their machines, so they charge you 22 cents per piece uh, to basically deal with that headache. Uh, so something to keep in mind. Next up, I'll talk about email. Certainly uh, inexpensive, very fast. Everybody has email. Um, HTML affords a high degree of customization these days, and it's green. Uh, you don't have to print anything. It's all done, uh, you know, uh, digitally, so it's very nice uh, in that regard. Uh, as far as weaknesses, uh, maybe not to email itself, but um, one of the big things you're going to see from email and, and vendors who do it are open and, open and click rates, uh, which are kind of an imperfect measurement. You need to be able to, um, to figure out how many of those open and clicks turn into conversions. Uh, and that's an important thing to keep in mind if you're going to do email marketing. You want to know how many people are actually registering for your activity or, or coming into what you're, um, what you're providing uh, based on what you're sending out. Um, it does require some advanced production knowledge. HTML isn't easy. Uh, if you don't know how to code, putting those together, putting, putting together something that's very nice, you know, does require some advanced knowledge. Regulatory involvement, um, opt-outs, spam, quite a few things that really um, I'm glad we have people here who know about because I um, really don't. Uh, you have to keep opt-out records for email um, or your vendor does so that's important and then you're dealing with spam and image filters. Uh, certainly spam not really anything you can do to get around it. Um, you know uh, you can make sure you're not on databases that are categorized as spam or your emails aren't getting caught up. Uh, and then image filters and, and this is something to, important to remember. If you're developing an HTML invite and you have images, make sure that the information that you want the attendee to see is in plain text. Because when everybody knows in Outlook or um, on a Mac, when an email comes through that has images, if it's a new sender, Outlook blocks those images. So if you have the date, time, title, faculty presenter, everything for your live meeting in that image, they're not going to see it. Uh, and it's just going to get deleted or moved to you know some look at it later folder and it's never going to get looked at. So something to keep in mind with email. Uh, as far as fax strengths, highly customizable. Uh, you can you can print a fax on your computer. You can do it in Word. Uh, you can do quite a few things to it. Uh, it's fast. It's very inexpensive. Um, it requires less development because you know it's a black and white um, 
document and almost anyone can do it. Um, and the quality of the data is well known. Uh, and that's because, <clears throat> excuse me, you need to verify your data if you're faxing. Uh, and that kind of leads me into weaknesses. And, um, you know, I, I kind of glossed over this really quickly, but um, people do still have fax machines. They do still use them. You put paper in them, you dial a number, it buzzes and whirs, and then magically the, the thing ends up on the other side. So, uh, you know, these are, um, these are still effective ways to generate audience. Uh, maybe not for communication. It's certainly not as fast as email. But for generating an audience, faxes do still work. Um, for their weaknesses, personalization increases the costs. Um, you know, if you're working with a vendor or you're doing it yourself, uh, it's either cost in time or cost in dollars. But to personalize a fax takes some time. Uh, it may require you to upgrade equipment if you're going to handle massive faxes internally. I have worked at a company that had a, uh, a fax server. Um, and we were able to send out you know, thousands of faxes in a day. Uh, it was very expensive, and it was very hard to manage. And uh, I have now um, you know, would recommend working with uh, an outsourced provider who does fax blasts. Uh, it's much easier, and it's probably cheaper if you don't already have it set up. Uh, you have to keep opt-out records for faxes, and that's something that's important to know. If you're sending somebody a fax, and it can be considered a solicitation, and whether or not it's a solicitation I think is arguable, but a lawyer uh, who wants to sue you would probably argue that it's a solicitation. Um, so you have to give them a way to opt out of future faxes, and it has to be free to them. So if you don't have an 800 number for them to call back and say, please do not fax me, you can't send them the fax. Uh, and uh, it involves the Telephone Consumer Privacy Act, uh, which is the you know, essentially the um, Telemarketing Protection Act. Uh, faxes fall under the same thing. So if you're sending them, again, something that can be considered a solicitation, if you're charging, certainly it's a solicitation, um, you're liable to, uh, to, to face legal excuse me, ramifications for that. Uh, so something important to consider with facts. Last but not least, database marketing. So the strengths, I think, are quite obvious here. You have a, a prior relationship with the person. It's fast. It's free. You can template it. You can do it regularly. The data is really strong because you, you've known these people, you've had an interaction with them, um, you know, you're able to, to cull stuff out very easily. Um, the weaknesses, and uh, the first one I, actually is something that I um, kind of have noticed, but repeated communications are unwanted. I, I don't know how many times I've signed up for something, uh, even like Groupon or something like that, and I get 10 emails in the next three days, and then I just I, I cancel it because I'm annoyed by it. It's filling up my Gmail, my personal box, uh, you know, uh, I'll end up using my Hotmail. I do have a Hotmail account that I haven't checked in about five years, and that's where I send stuff that I know I'm going to get a lot of um, communication from. So, you know, if you if you end up, you know, hitting these people over and over and over again uh, multiple times a week, and, and you're not offering them something that's highly valuable, they may opt out. Uh, the communication is not always relevant to them. If you're not uh, managing your database well, uh, you may be sending stuff out that isn't relevant. Uh, it may require dedicated staff, and you have to manage the opt-in and opt-out records. Um, so next, we'll talk about data. Uh, and by far, I think this is the most important component of um, audience generation. You have to get good data. Uh, and these are some tips I have. First of all, purge duplicates, especially for mail and fax. You don't want to send one fax number, 20 faxes. Uh, if they have 20 physicians there and you've bought a database. Mail, if you're, uh, you know, appears that you're stuffing 
um, mailboxes at uh, at a hospital. That's a good way to get a you know somebody from the hospital to call you or to call your supporter or somebody they know that's associated with um, this activity. Uh, ensure if it's your own data that you have people's names spelled correctly, that you have the, um, their titles correct. I can't tell you how many um, DOs there are out there who probably routinely get um, emails or messages to John Smith, MD. Uh, they are DO. You know that's important to consider. Make sure their addresses are correct, email addresses, fax number, because if not, you're just wasting money by sending the piece. Uh, the more you can do to your data before you send it out, the better. The cleaner it's going to be, the better return you're going to get. Uh, remove inactive contacts. Um, the, you don't want to send something out, especially in mailing, to a group, uh, you know, a contact list that's 10 years old. It's gonna, you're going to get stuff back. Um, I'll never forget one time we had a partner who had a list that was relevant to the program we were um, developing. Uh, I think it was about um, 5,000 uh, addresses. We sent them back, and we got about two-thirds of them back in our office as return to sender, does not live here. Uh, a huge waste of money um, and a huge waste of time. Uh, there are services available, cha national change of address services, uh, where you can run your lists against. Uh, it is uh, a fee service, so keep that in mind. If you're purchasing data and you're not getting 95% deliverability, you should get another vendor. Um, that's the minimum that you should be looking for. Uh, and then finally, I think with data, you can get highly specific now. You could be searching by ICD-9 codes, ICD-10 codes, age of the physician, year of graduation, tons of things. But if you get really specific, you're going to lose a lot of records. Remember that people are, are self-reporting this information. Uh, and, you know, if they're filling out a form and half of it is optional and you're asking for, you know, four or five different items that are in that optional field, they're not going to have completed it and you're going to lose data. So, you know, keep that in mind when you get too specific if you're doing something that's relatively broad, primary care focused, something like that. So registration collection. Uh, keep it simple. For web forms, uh, we implement the three-click rule. From the time the person opens their email to the time they've registered, they shouldn't have to click more than three times. Once to get to your website, once to get to the registration form, once to get to the confirmation that they've registered. Um, don't make them search for it. Don't make them click all over your site and do all these other things. Uh, if you don't have a toll-free telephone number for them to register, get it. Uh, I, I don't know who pays for long distance anymore, but somebody still pays for it. Uh, and, and it might make them reconsider sending something uh, or calling you. Um, perforate your, your mailers or your faxer, faxes. Uh, you know, get something that they can just send right back to you. Um, at the point of registration, you need to collect all of the information you need. Uh, don't let the attendees be lazy, because they will. Um, you know, if you say, email it back, they are going to email you your name, I would like to register. If you have 30 meetings happening, you have no idea what city they're in, where they're from, what their address is, how to get back in touch with them. Uh, you know, so make sure you're collecting all the information. I would, I would recommend not using email uh, registration for that exact reason. It's just very hard to manage and very hard to get all of the information needed. Uh, use that registration period as an opportunity to collect their preferred communication preference. Some people don't like email. Um, you know, so if they don't, you want to know how to get in touch with them. Ask them how they found out about a program and uh, provide the opportunity for them to opt in for future communication. So in follow-up, uh, it's imperative that you follow up with, with a prospective participant, not just the confirmation, but at some point between their confirmation and the actual live program, you need to get back in touch with them again. Get them in, uh, interested in the program. Engage them. Just remind them. Whatever. Just uh, keep it top of mind. 
And on this next slide, you can see some data from about 3,500 registrations internally at Integrity, and you can see a 7% increase in the um, uh, number of registrations for people with follow-up versus no follow-up. So uh, what I'd like to do next, and this is something I always thought would be really cool to do, and I thought it's the first CME Palooza, so why not do it, but to uh, take a, uh, a retrospective analysis of our internal audience generation data to see how people register, how they find out about the program, and what's most effective. So uh, I know I've uh, got about eight minutes left, so I'm going to go through this as quickly as I can, but we took 153 regional uh, workshops in the United States that used internal database email marketing, direct mail invitations, email blast marketing, and fax invitations to generate audiences. We wanted to know which was most successful and did the way they registered or how they found out about the program affect their likelihood of participating. So uh, after calling the data, what we included was uh, only one to two hour live regional workshops, only primary care physician target audiences, and only physician registrations. We didn't include nurses, NPs, mid-levels, pharmacists. Um, and uh, as I said, we had 153 programs, and what we ended up with was 8,400 registra 8 registrations that accounted for 4,707 participants. Uh, the caveat to what I'm about to show you is that we haven't done heavy stats analysis on this. That CME Palooza session is not until 2.30, so after that, we'll run the stats on the stuff. Um, but uh, uh, I think the ratios and the rates that I'm going to show you uh, do... Uh, you know, have some telling data in them. So for these 153 programs, um, these are the, the invitations we sent out. Over 87,000 mail invitations, 62,000 faxes, over 240,000 emails, tons of emails, and 7,011 uh, emails to our internal databases. Uh, the one thing to, to account for if you're doing the math here is this is probably more primary care phys physicians than there are in the U.S. Um, so people receive the, in, the invitation more than once. Um, you know, keep that in mind. So method of registration and discovery for these 8,000 plus registration. 25% um, of our registrants found out about it via mail, only 15% via fax, 28% via email, and 32% via our internal database marketing. Um, the one thing I'll say about the internal database marketing is don't use this to estimate your own um, audience generation tactics because y you can't tell if your data is as good as ours or better than ours. Uh, if your uh, audience is engaged, there there's tons of stuff that are kind of um, variables that we ca you can't account for. Um, for method of registration, uh, website registration is the easiest, I think. So 36% of people came in that way. 34% uh, from phone and 30% faxed back a form to us. Uh, as I said, um, we don't accept or we don't advertise email uh, registrations. One person in this 8,407 did send us an email, um, and uh, nobody mailed anything back to us. So our return rates for all of these invitations we sent out for mail was 2.42%, fax uh, just under 2%, email just under 1%, uh, and database marketing for our own uh, database, again with that caveat, was 38%. Uh, so email was lower than we expected, and mail and fax were in line with our expectations. Uh, the one thing to think about here is, is you might be looking at this and saying, well, we'll just do our own internal database marketing, and we'll do more, and we'll get, um, we'll get more people. But you have to remember that mail, fax, and email 
and those new registrations, those, those um, new engagements, all are going to feed into your internal database. So you can't ignore them entirely. Um, if you have a great database and you can develop the audience uh, or generate the audience you need, you can, you can use that as your primary um, method. But I think mail, fax, email, one of those needs to be used to feed that and keep it fresh. So rates of attendance based on their discovery method and registration. So 44% of the people who registered via mail showed up to the program, 45% via fax, 38% via email, and 75% of our um, internal database. Um, the, those 75% had participated in a program like this previously, so that is not a surprising number to us. Um, as far as registration method, 65% of people who registered over the phone showed up. 60% who registered via fax showed up, and only 44% who registered via website showed up. So our largest mechanism of registration gave us our lowest um, contribution to the actual live audience, uh, as far as percentages go. Uh, that may be related to the ease of registration um, and the preference to learn online. So they may have registered to access our site, or uh, they may have just been on a smartphone, clicked and done it real quick and forgotten about it. Uh, and ignored all of our follow-ups. Um, so, you know, these ratios uh, tell us a little. Um, I, I think these certainly could use a test for significance to find out what it all kind of um, means, but, you know, uh, I think that when you look at the next slide, uh, it says a lot. Our cost per registration and cost per attendee, based on a mail cost of 75 cents per piece, email of uh, 27 and a half cents, and fax of 31 cents, um, mail is by, uh, I'm sorry, email is, is the highest cost per registration, cost per attendee. Um, I'm sorry, email is the highest cost per attendee, um, even though it's the cheapest mechanism to send out an, uh, an invitation. Um, fax, which had our lowest, rate uh, our lowest response rate, was our cheapest for per registration and our cheapest per attendee. Um, so, you know, you can look at return rates and you can say, well, fax is, is not as high as mail, email is cheaper, but you have to remember that, you know, after they register, the people still have to come. Um, so consider faxes as, as part of your overall audience generation plan because it, it's cheaper to get them actually into the seat. So in conclusion to that, um, you know, database marketing was our most effective method of audience generation highest rate of attendance. For um, first-time registrants, mail had the highest rate of response, email was the most frequent way they discovered the program out of all registrations, uh, and fax invitations, again, had the lowest cost per registrant and cost per attendee. Um, those who discovered the activity by fax had the highest rate of attendance, email, again, was the lowest. Uh, and then registration via online registration portals were least likely to attend the session. Uh, so after you're done registration, Keep this in mind when you're estimating attrition and you're setting F and B or, or whatever else you need to set for the program. So last slide here, best practices for audience generation. First of all, you need to know your audience. Make sure that you are thinking like your audience. Um, know how they want to receive uh, information, where they're located. Uh, you know, all, all of these factors are, are very important in planning and audience generation um, time. Uh, have good data, but don't get lost in it. Make sure your data is good but don't go so deep into the data that you cut out all of your attendees uh, or, or possible attendees, as I, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, one thing I didn't talk about um, is time, but give yourself enough time. Don't try to jam 
an entire audience generation plan into a month, uh, especially for a large program. It's, it's not enough time. Uh, you should give yourself two, three, four months to generate an audience um, for a standalone activity. If it's something you do annually, when it ends, you should start uh, recruiting for next year right away. Uh, make sure you allocate an uh, adequate budget. Um, as far as production goes, do the best you can with your marketing materials. If you have in-house creative or you have an agency that does that, um, terrific. Um, you know, but if you don't, do, do the best you can. Um, add imagery. Uh, you know, make sure everything is spelled right. Get an editor, uh, those sort of things. Set realistic expectations for return. Um, and then be concerned with the correct outcome, uh, and that's registrations and participants. I just presented a whole bunch of data about um, return rates and costs and, and all that. I think if you're looking at that on an individual activity level, you're going to overwhelm yourself with data. Um, if you're getting enough registrants and you're getting enough participants, your audience generation program is, is accomplishing its goal. Annually, maybe go back and look at the data and try to figure out um, you know, where you can cut costs or where you can save some time. But uh, on an activity level, just concern yourself with total registrations and participants. Uh, and finally, remember that the registration process doesn't end when the participant signs up. Uh, you have to maintain engagement with them. You have to follow up, uh, and, and that's going to uh, significantly increase their likelihood of actually attending your session. So that's it. I, I thank you for your attention. Derek, I thank you very much for your time and setting all of this up. And uh, if there's any questions, feel free to contact me. I'm on Twitter, or uh, my email is on the final slide here. Thanks, Michael. That was uh, really great. A lot of good practical tips in there that would um, be some good take-home tools. Um, and I, for one, as a longtime Duke hater, uh, found <laughs> this much, much more interesting than I'm sure the game is uh, right now. And also, right after I'm done here, I'm going to check out that Google thing that you mentioned. That yes, go, go check that out. It's very yeah, cool. Yeah, that sounds pretty amazing. Um, all right, well, thanks a lot, Michael. Uh, we are going to move right into our 1 o'clock session then. Uh, Pam Beaton talking about EACCME Made Easy. Um, so grab yourself a quick snack and come on back. We'll be here in about five minutes. Thanks again, Michael. Appreciate it. Thank you.